Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Yep, it's Tuesday. Uh, I don't know if you're listening to this on a Tuesday or not, but whatever. Happy second week of May. Uh, right now, I am super stoked because this past Friday was my daughter's first birthday. It was a weird first birthday, but it because it was a Corona first birthday, um, we ended up live streaming um, her cake smash like on Facebook and stuff. And there was pros and cons to that. Pros being that I didn't have to have a million people in my small living space with my wife stressed out because trying to serve a million people. Um, yeah, so that was a huge pro. Really, the, it's a fantastic pro. Uh, con, obviously, it would have been really nice to see, you know, all our family and friends celebrating our daughter's first birthday. And really, let's be honest, first birthday parties are a chance to celebrate the parents surviving the first year of parenthood. Um, that's, let's be honest, that's really, that's really what this is all about. Um, but anyway, and uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was fun. And then this Thursday is my not first birthday. It's my, I'm getting older birthday, but, uh, yeah. And I don't know what we're doing for my birthday. Really at this point, I think for the rest of my life, the month of May has been claimed by my daughter. Uh, but you know, maybe I'll, I'll have a nice glass of bourbon or something on my birthday. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do for my birthday. It's supposed to be raining. So I was, I think my wife and I were going to go kayaking, but I don't think it's going to happen because it's going to be raining all week. So it's going to be another Corona locked in birthday party for Chase this time. Uh, but anyway, I hope you're having a fantastic week. God is good. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is King and Lord and risen. And you know, everything's good. Y'all everything's good. Uh, so today on our episode, enough of me ranting about random birthday stuff, uh, is going to be why study scripture. Why, why are we doing what we're doing right now? We've talked a lot about different things on the podcast. We've dove into different topics. But this is a really important question that we have to kind of constantly come back to. Because anybody who studies scripture, whether it's casually or professionally, we need to remind ourselves of what's, what's the point. You know, why? Why do this? Why study scripture? And before we dive in, got to get that Greek word of the day. Greek word of the day is mysterion. It's a word you might have heard before. Mysterion is where we get the English word mystery. Uh, and the thing is with the Greek mysterion, it is not to be confused with like Scooby-Doo mysteries, right? Where like we don't know something, we have to figure it out. And once we figure it out, we're going to know who... Who did it? You know, who stole the Scooby snacks or whatever? No, uh, Mysterion has a much more in-depth meaning, which we're actually going to end the podcast today by talking about, so I don't want to give too much away, but just know Mysterion is not like a Scooby-Doo mystery that we that needs to be discovered, but rather uh, an unveiling of something that was hidden to human reason. So it was hidden to human reason, but it was unveiled. By God. So we're going to talk about that a little, little bit later on in the episode today. So first of all, why study scripture? 
Well, we're going to start off by looking at 2 Timothy 3.16. We read, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to read that again because it's, it's a lot there if you just zoom in on it. So, he says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired by God. Scripture is, uh, <laughs> in a certain sense, um, it's true God and true man. So I think a lot of times when we think of like the, the divine writers, we think that they were somehow <laughs> like, um, you know, had the St. Teresa of Avila moment where they, like, they went in some trance and they, you know, started writing and then all of a sudden they woke up and they're like, whoa, I just wrote a whole book. Like, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that's not how scripture, scripture works, right? We, we scripture uh, is not something where the human authors didn't understand or didn't know what they were writing and what they were doing. Uh, it's the incarnational analogy, right? So it's, it's God, Jesus is fully God and fully man, totally both without losing his identity. And scripture is totally 100% inspired by God, but it's also fully man, right? It's the, the human authors had a really important role to play. And so, yes, everything they wrote down, God was using to, to teach us something. But there's also a human side of things. It's actually funny when you look at uh, in the Greek of the book of Revelation, there's actually grammatical errors in the Greek. Um, John, St. John made a, made some grammar mistakes. He missed a comma or two. I'm just kidding. There's no commas in Greek. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. Fun fact, I'm awful at grammar and spelling in general. And in like 12th grade, I was in a language class, and I got a paperback, and the comment was literally like, hey, this content's really great, but... I ha I've never had to write so many commas and semicolons into one paper ever in my life. Um, I got to be on that paper because the content was so good. Uh, but anyway, um, there are grammar mistakes in like scripture. And when you look at uh, different parts of the Old Testament, even uh, the prophet Ezekiel talks about how God gave laws that were not good, you know, after the fall. So there's a very human element to scripture that we can't forget. And they're also inspired by God. Fully God and fully man. So second, go back to Second Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. So the first reason why we should study scripture is for catechesis, is for teaching. I think too often as, as Catholics, we we we're trying to teach something of the truth of the of the faith. And we start with dogma. We start with the catechism. We start with things that aren't scripture. And I think there's there's some good to that. But we have to remember, all dogma is, is the church's definitive statement on a certain interpretation of scripture or a reality of scripture. The dogma of the Trinity comes from scripture. The dogma of the, you know, the two natures, one person of Jesus Christ comes from scripture. It all has a scriptural root in it. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. The we believe as Catholics that there are two valid sources of, of inspiration, of 
uh, we have the big T tradition, right? And we also have scripture. We have the written word. So it's one source. We have the word, the word of God, namely. But we have two fonts, scripture and big T tradition. So we have oral tradition. And even in John's gospel, we read about how, you know, these were the signs that Jesus performed. Uh, there were many more signs, but if they had been written, I, I suppose there's not enough uh, books in the world that could hold their content or something like that at the end of the gospel of John. So we know there's a lot that Jesus said and did and taught his disciples that were not written in scripture. And so we have big T tradition. Um, and so scripture, though, I think we need to go back to starting with scripture, even when talking about the, the Trinity, um, talking about, you know, how can there be three persons, one nature and all that stuff? Well, it goes back to scripture. The, the son of God became man and revealed to us that he has a father, but that he is divine. And you, you go to the fact that God is real and that he sent his son. And then through scripture, we have this revelation of the mystery, going back to mystery, of the Trinity. So scripture, it's profitable for teaching. We should start with scripture always. I think we were good with doing this with like little kids. We like tell them like Old Testament stories and stuff like that about, you know, Adam and Eve and Noah and all these things. And, um, but we also don't actually like <laughs> teach like the, what the actual story says. We have this like little baby Bible for my, for my daughter. We read to her and it, don't get me wrong. It's good. It's, it's a good starting point. But like, you know, we were about to, we were out the, in the flood. It's like, oh, and all it says about the flood is like, oh, God sent this flood and Noah collected the animals and you know, all these, it's like very fluffy, but it doesn't actually say why the flood happened. It, you know, it doesn't give the reason. And don't get me wrong. I don't think we should scar our kids with like all the really intense stuff in the old Testament. Even uh, the ancient uh, Israelites wouldn't let their young men read the song of songs because it was too, it was too salty <laughs> apparently for the young men of Israel. Uh, so there's prudence in that. Uh, but I think we should go back to starting with scripture. I think scripture is a, needs to be the foundation for how we how we teach how we catechize the second reason for second in second timothy is for reproof so this is like apologetics so especially when it comes to i think talking with other maybe non-evangelized catholics i think scripture is an amazing place to point to for to talking about the eucharist to talk about you know mary as an intercessor and revelations 12 and all these things and, but, I, you know, it gets tricky when people and well-intentioned Catholics want to, like, study apologetics. Like, it's all I want to do is study apologetics. It's like, well, there's pros and cons to that. The pros is obviously the more you learn about Scripture and God and the church. Like, awesome. That's great. But the cons of that, if, if all you study is apologetics, you're pigeonholing yourself because there's so much more out there than apologetics. And, and here's the thing. If you study theology and philosophy, the apologetics will come. But if you study just apologetics, all you're ever going to learn are the the thorny issues, right? That's all you're ever really going to dive into is the thorny issues that need to be debated or whatever. Um, and so I, I tell people, like, dude, don't study apologetics. Study, study theology and the apologetics will come. Study philosophy and the apologetics will come. But also I think it's it's tricky when well-intentioned Catholics are talking to our Protestant brothers and sisters. Ratzinger says uh, one of the problems between Catholic and Protestant dialogue is like it's like sword play in the mist. What does he mean by that? We're both holding the the the, the sword of the word in our hands, but it's so foggy that we don't realize that the other swordsman isn't even in the same playing field. Sword play in the mist. Sword play in the fog. Uh, 
here's the thing. As Catholics, we are starting from an entirely different philosophical premise than our Protestant brothers and sisters. So that's why you can proof text a Protestant to your blue in the face and not get anywhere with them. But it's because they're starting from a different philosophical premises. Uh, an amazing book on this is Politicizing the Bible by Scott Hahn and Benjamin Weicker. It goes into more detail about why this is so, about how you know Luther studied from Occam and Occam and Occam's Razor and all that stuff. If you've never studied it, um, it's a great book. It's a bit on the academic side, so and it's a it's a big book too. So if you're not really down for that, um, just know that it, for Occam and for Luther following. Everything was the way it was, the way it is. Everything is the way it is. Only because God willed it to be so. Not because God has a nature that he has to operate by. So what does that mean? As Catholics, we believe that there's a divine nature. Namely, that there is a essence of God. That God acts the way he does because of what he is. As you are, so you act. It's very Aristotelian. As you are, so you act. And so because God... God has a divine nature. This nature is all good, all knowing, all loving. Therefore, he acts the way he does. It, it flow, his decisions flow from his nature of God being love. And everything he created also tracks the same way. As humans, as we are, so we act. The reason we do things we do is because of our human nature, our, what we are, our humanness. The reason a dog does what it does is because of its dogness, its nature. The reason a tree does what it does is because of its treeness. But for Occam and Luther who studied him, there is no nature. Everything's arbitrary. So God does what he does because he wants to. He could have made murder like moral. That's, that, that could have been a thing, but he chose to have it not be moral. Uh, you know, Everything is the way it is only because God said so and for no other reason. God could have changed it. God could have you know made other decisions or had other things do whatever. Uh, and so... Those are very drastically, drastically different views of the world, of God, of theology. I mean, this literally changes everything, everything. And so it's really difficult to have dialogue, a scriptural dialogue between Catholics and Protestants because we're literally coming at the word from two different, totally different angles. So we're reading something and be like, why don't you see that this is clearly what this means? When they're saying the exact same thing, like, why don't you see that this is clearly what this means? Um, so it's a question of philosophy, not theology when it comes to uh, scripture. But scripture is still good for reproof and for apologetics. But I think as Catholics, we should focus on more on using it to evangelize uh, each other and to reunite the Catholic church and the excitement of studying scripture. I think that's that's a good place to start. It's a whole new evangelization, right? Evangelizing the baptized. And then from there, people will be, especially our Protestant brothers and sisters, will be like, wow, the Catholic Church, they didn't really know their stuff. They know their scripture. I mean, they, they look like they're really satisfied and they have the sacraments. Oh my gosh, what does this mean? What's the history? And I think that would, that would really attract more people. All right, so the next thing we read is for correction. And that's for morality, right? So in 2 Timothy, we have teaching, reproof, and correction. I think all too often, I think parents try to stick with like moral philosophy. I don't think they would say that for the virtues and vices and stuff. And I don't think they would use these exact words. Um, maybe if they're super Catholic or just smart, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I think they, 
they try to do this. Why is this wrong? Oh, because of, you don't want to be a good person or because I said so. Or, um, and it's this very kind of shallow uh, reasoning behind why we should and shouldn't do what we do. But for sec- in Second Timothy, we, we know that we, we should, as Catholics, we should go to Scripture. We should know Scripture well enough to like paraphrase it to our, our wife and our children or our husband and our children or our friends or whatever. You know, uh, you know when, you, when your kids ask, like, well, well, why is it not good to throw temper tantrum? Well, you know, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you know, you, know, you heard it said it was old, but you should not kill. But I say you can't even be angry with your brothers and sisters. So Jesus is telling us, you know, that we should strive to not be angry. And if we do get angry to control it, to not, you know, curse or not call people fools because that's not what his disciples do. So like being able to go to very simple scriptural like references, and don't get me wrong, you don't have to quote the chapter and the verse to your kids or to your spouse or friends or whatever. You can, I mean, simply say, well, you know, I, Jesus said one time X, Y, Z, right? Or, or we read in St. Paul, you know, I think it's in the Ro- letters of the Romans that, you know, blah, 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 blah. So go into scripture for correction, and it's that proof of authority, and um, and maybe that's hard for some people, but I think it's a beautiful place uh, to just really ground and center every single thing we do and say in sacred scripture, in the words of our Lord. And lastly, the fourth reason why we should study scripture in Second Timothy is for the training in righteousness. So holiness. What's the point of life? It's to get to heaven. How do you get to heaven? By living a holy life on earth. How do we know what, is, what being holy is? Well, we read scripture. We look at the lives of the saints who themselves studied scripture. I think, and I heard Matt Fred say this on one of his podcasts, and I think it's beautiful. If you were talking to St. Thomas Aquinas and he found out you read his Summa more than the Bible, I think he would scoff at you. Maybe that's you. Maybe you just love the Summa and you love the theology books. But if you read theology books more than the Bible, you're doing something wrong. It's all in the Bible. And don't get me wrong. I read tons of books. I read a lot. But here's the reality. Scripture is the word of God. That's it. Jesus speaks to our hearts through his written word. So what are the four reasons to study scripture? According to 2 Timothy 3.16, it's for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness or holiness. At the end of the day, we're just trying to get to heaven. Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium, his first encyclical, which is amazing, by the way. If you've not read Evangelii Gaudium, Pause this podcast, lock yourself in your room because you're in quarantine anyway. Spend the next day just reading it. I, it's, it's fantastic. I love, I love this, this teaching from, Saint, uh, from Pope Francis. I was going to say Francis, Pope Francis. So he says, the study of sacred scripture must be a door open to every believer. It is essential that the revealed word radically enrich our catechesis and all our efforts to pass on the faith. Evangelization demands familiarity with God's word, which calls for a serious ongoing study of the Bible while encouraging its prayerful, individual, and communal reading. We do not blindly seek God or wait for him to speak to us first. 
for, quote, God has already spoken, and there is nothing further that we need to know which has not been revealed to us. Let us receive the sublime treasure treasure of revealed word. The revealed word. Beautiful words from Pope Francis. Kind of just summarizing everything we said. And this this isn't something I think new. I think Pope Francis didn't make this up. Ratzinger was huge, huge on you know kind of the crisis of catechesis that we have in modern the modern Catholic Church. I mean, it's true. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a youth minister. I'm director of youth ministry here at Saint Teresa Catholic Church in school, and I ask very simple questions about the Bible to the middle school and high school kids that I encounter, and every once in a while they'll kind of know. But even when I ask, you know, basic, basic questions about the Old or the New Testament, they, they look at me as if I just spoke Japanese to them. Like they had they have no idea what I'm saying. You know, I ask like, hey, so what happened to the kingdom of Israel like after Solomon died? The very basic question, if you've read the Old Testament, hopefully you know. Well, it was split. There was a northern and southern kingdom. Okay, what happened after that? Uh, well, there's a lot of really bad kings, and eventually, you know, the northern kingdom was uh, invaded by the Assyrians and was sent off into exile. We lost ten tribes of, uh, of Israel. They're called in the southern kingdom. They didn't get in, or they got invaded, but they ended up surviving because there was a plague or whatever. But eventually, uh, Babylon, the Babylonians, defeated the Assyrians, but then conquered Jerusalem and sent them into exile. And so, just basic, basic. Bible facts. Like, that people just don't know. And I think there's been, like I said, there's been a, a, a de-emphasis on Scripture and an over-emphasis on, you know, teaching the catechism. But don't get me wrong, I love the catechism. We need to teach the catechism. But if we're not teaching the Word of God, we're doing something wrong. Because the catechism is not more important than the Bible. It's not. And I don't think any priest or any saint would ever dare say it is all the catechism is is the church's dogmatic teaching on the bible (laughs) that's what it is that's what it is it's all it's all the bible and so the church is there because kind of going back to what we said earlier god speaks to us and a lot of the times he reveals mysteries mysterion in the greek Mysterion. And so we we know that everything God reveals to us is good and it's holy and it's for our salvation. Yet sometimes we don't understand it. And that's when mystery comes in. For example, the mystery of the Trinity. We know through faith, through revelation, through the apocalypse, that's what apocalypse means, means that unveiling, through the revelation of God, that the triune Godhead is three persons in one nature. But that's not something we could have just come to through our own reason. It's why it took revelation to reveal that to us. And this is a mystery because we have nothing else in nature that we can use as an example. If you've ever used a three-leaf clover or a triangle or like the rays of the sun to describe the Trinity, you are a heretic. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe not. Should I heretic? Maybe well-intentioned. Um, the great little YouTube video called Lutheran Satire on the Trinity. Hilarious. You should look it up um, when you're not driving or doing whatever you're doing right now. 
so Lutheran satire on the Trinity, it's just a, it's a kind of tongue in cheek uh, thing about, you know, how all these different analogies, the Trinity are basically just heresies because they don't actually explain what it is. And, and if you're teaching somebody, if you're trying to explain the Trinity, and if you don't know, and if you are tempted to use like a three leaf clover or a triangle or whatever, just say, you know, it's a mystery of the faith. And we know that through revelation, through what God has spoken to through his son, that the God is Trinity, three persons in one nature. And just say that, like, you know, if that's, if that's your, if that's in your wheelhouse, just, just say that. Don't try to go into the psychological analogy of the Trinity by St. Thomas Aquinas when you can't fully understand it or explain it, even though it's a beautiful analogy. If you want to learn more about that, just Google psychological analogy of St. Thomas Aquinas on the Trinity. And that is as close as we can get. The best analogy I've ever read that's also not a heresy. Um, <laughs> and it, But it's a mystery. Because even if we can kind of sort of find some way to kind of mysteriously understand it or analogously understand it, like a St. Thomas Aquinas kind of tries to get us to do, it's still a mystery. The psychological analogy doesn't prove the Trinity. It just helps us kind of understand how it might be possible. So it's a, it's a mystery. And that's okay. The mysteries are so good. It's, but it's, and the mysteries are truth. It's a truth fully hidden and a truth not fully understood, right? But mystery is, is it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful reality to the faith. And I'm actually going to, uh, we're going to end today, and it's kind of a longer quote, um, but it's, it is just, it's so juicy. There's a guy named Matthias Shaben. I'll put this in the show notes. Matthias Shaben. He wrote a lot of books and he is brilliant. I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant theologian. But and when he writes, it's like poetry. Anyway, I think one of his most famous books, if not his most famous book is called the mysteries of the Trinity. And so the mysteries of the Trinity is fantastic i'm sorry mysteries of christianity not mysteries of trinity uh mysteries of christianity uh by matthias shaben it is juicy steak y'all if you want a new book buy this one mysteries of the trinity or sorry mysteries of christianity i keep saying that mysteries of christianity uh it is so good y'all i mean it's a thick book so it's more of like almost like a reference book than like a you're going to read through it all. Even if you do read through it all, I mean, let me know because that's just impressive. So anyway, I want to read this quote to you. It's really, really beautiful. And we can just chew on this for a while. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and uh, hope this kind of helps you, motivate you more why we should study sacred scripture. So Matthias Shaban says, far from repudiating Christianity or regarding it with suspicious eyes because of its mysteries, we ought to recognize its divine grandeur in these very mysteries. So essential to Christianity are its mysteries that in its character of truth revealed by the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, it would stand convicted of intrinsic contradiction if it brought forward no mysteries. So it would be intrinsically contradictory if it didn't bring forward mysteries. Its author would carry with him a poor recommendation for his divinity if he taught us only such truth as in the last analysis we could have learned from a mere man or could have perceived and adequately grasped by our own unaided powers. So he's saying, I mean, that would have been really poor proof of showing his divinity if he only taught us what we could have figured out, right? He goes on. I would go even further. The truths of Christianity would not stir us as they do, 
nor would they draw us or hearten us, and they would not be embraced by us with such love and joy if they contained no mysteries. What makes many a man recoil from the Christian mysteries as from a sinister specters is neither the voice of the nature nor the inner impulse of the heart, nor the yearning for light and truth, but the arrogance of a wanton and overweening pride. So why does men repel from Scripture? It's because it's, it's uh, men of mysteries. Well, it's because it's pride, because they can't understand it, and that they want to, so they're prideful. He goes on. When the heart thirsts after truth, when the knowledge of the truth is in its purest delight and highest joy, the sublime, the exalted, the extraordinary, the incomprehensible, all exercise an especial attraction. A truth that is easily discovered and quickly grasped can neither enchant nor hold. To enchant and hold us, it must surprise us by its novelty. It must overpower us with its magnificence. Its wealth and profundity must exhibit ever new splendors ever deeper abysses to the exploring eye. We find but slight stimulation and pleasure in studies whose subject matter is soon exhausted and so leaves nothing further for, uh, for our wonderment. But how powerfully sciences enthrall us when every glance into them suggests new marvels to divine and every facet of the object imprisons new and greater splendors. So for Shaban for us mysteries are beautiful y'all it because if, if christianity didn't have mystery in it why would we be christians if we could have just come to all these truths on our own merits and our own brain why the heck would we do it jesus wouldn't be divine then he would just be some kind of guru, guru. but mysteries are just so beautiful beautiful uh, so matthias shaven mysteries of christianity so i hope this inspires you to study scripture if you have not or to up your scriptural game and to get back to reading it. And remember the four reasons in 2 Timothy for studying scripture, for teaching, reproof, and correction. So this has been Catholics with Bibles. I'll see you all next time. Well, guys, thanks again for joining me with Catholics with Bibles. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't. Leave us a review on the iTunes uh, podcast app. That also helps us out a lot. Talk about us with your friends, with your family, with your babies, with your spouses, with whoever. Helps us get the word out. Help people in study scripture, be inspired by it. To hopefully learn and grow as a Catholic community. Hope you all have a fantastic day. God bless.